We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. It's the last weekday of the month, which means it's payday. For a lot of Americans, payday happens every two weeks. But have you ever stopped to think about why that is? If you work every day, why wouldn't you get paid every day? This two-week pay system can actually create major problems for some people. And we now have the technology to pay people much more frequently. So from Washington to corporate America, there's a movement to do just that. Today on the show, how the two-week pay cycle came to be and why there's a push to change it. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, August 30th. Our colleague, Telus Demos, covers banking for The Wall Street Journal. Every day that you work, you're sort of earning your wages, but you don't actually get paid them that day. And in the meantime, the company hangs on to that money. So you're essentially offering your company a loan over the course of that time. So whenever you're working but not getting paid, you're basically lending your company that money. And that's money that they can use to run their business. And you're not just lending them that money. You're doing it interest-free. Employers can use that money to do whatever they want. They can run their business or invest it for two weeks before they have to pay their workers. In fact, third-party payroll administrators, which process your paycheck before payday arrives, end up holding a ton of money. It's an industry unto itself. One of the largest ones and the one that a lot of people are familiar with because they log into their website to see their pay stubs or the name is even on the check sometimes is ADP. ADP is a company that provides a variety of services to companies to manage, pay, provide benefits, and do other things for their workforce. Companies have to send money to the service provider before that money is then sent out to the employee. And sometimes the deadline for that submission of payment to the payroll provider might be a couple days before. And so in the meantime, that money is just sort of sitting in an account at ADP and earning interest. ADP, in its last fiscal year, had on average more than $24 billion of money in this kind of limbo. So it's a lot of money, and it shows you the scale of what we're talking about. What are the downsides of the two-week pay cycle? For a lot of people, the two-week pay cycle is really hard to budget around. Payday is one of those things that there are some people in America who never think about it. They just take it for granted that every two weeks their paycheck arrives, and it doesn't matter to them exactly when they get paid. Then there are people who think about it all the time. Every day, they're thinking about, how much longer do I have till payday? How do I manage my money until then? No matter how well you budget, there are unpredictable costs that don't happen on the timeline of a two-week pay cycle. Some expenses, rent or an electric bill, are predictable expenses for most people. But there are also unpredictable costs, like medical bills, home repairs, last-minute childcare. People have costs every day. All kinds of things happen irregularly. And so what a lot of researchers are looking at now is this issue of people who actually do make enough money to pay their bills, but just have trouble doing so because of this 
pattern of they get paid every two weeks, but they have needs every day. And so they have what's essentially what economists would call not a solvency problem. They have enough money for their needs, but they have a liquidity problem. They just don't have the money that they need today, even though they might have in the future. There's a stat that illustrates the difference between solvency and liquidity. Last year, the Federal Reserve said that 4 in 10 Americans can't afford to pay a $400 emergency cost. And TELUS looked into the data behind that stat. When I looked at the Fed's numbers, I actually pared it down by, okay, how many people are in that situation who have full-time jobs? People who work every day, who presumably know what their budget's going to be, and yet still would have trouble coming up with a $400 emergency expense. Of course, there are people who just don't make enough money. They might have a full-time job, but just have costs that are beyond that. But for a lot of those same people, it was really just a mismatch between when their costs came and when they got paid. Some people have a tool to deal with that mismatch. If you have good credit and you suddenly have an expense that you can't meet, what do you do? You throw it on your credit card. In fact, you might even be rewarded for throwing down your credit card by all these crazy rewards programs that exist. But if you're somebody who doesn't have a lot of money to begin with, you don't necessarily have that fancy credit card in your wallet to throw down whenever there's an unexpected expense. So it's not that only people who are poor have cash flow problems. It's just that they have many fewer tools to deal with them. One option for people who need money between pay periods and don't have access to credit is payday loans. The reason they're called payday loans is because of what we've been talking about. You know you're going to get paid at the end of the month, end of the week, whatever it is, but you need money now, so you go to somebody who will give you a loan to get there. And in theory, that sounds great. It allows you to get your money now, and you solve your problem. In practice, a lot of people go into that system not really understanding all of the ways in which it works. Or they go in thinking that the payday loan is going to solve their problems, then some other need comes up, where suddenly they can't pay it back. And then they can get stuck in a very painful cycle of getting one loan to pay back another loan, fees and all that pile up quickly. It can get ugly. It's an industry that has been looked at quite a bit by the government. It's an industry that feels under attack because they feel like they're providing this really essential service because of the way that the payroll system works. But it remains a pretty controversial thing and there's a lot of concern by experts about people who have to turn to payday loans when they need them. The two-week pay cycle has a lot of downsides. So why are we paid this way in the first place? An answer to that and the movement to change things after the break. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back. When TELUS started reporting on the two-week pay cycle, he hit an early roadblock. It's hard to find a person who is an expert on just the pay cycle. The exact reason why we do it every two weeks is sort of lost to time. Whatever systems drove that decision are obsolete today, but everyone still just kind of does it that way. 
And a lot of experts on pay and labor that I talked to really didn't have an explanation beyond that's just the way it's been. Okay, but what were you able to figure out about how the system works? So once upon a time when vassals worked for the Lord, they were essentially not really paid a wage. In they the were, feudal times? In feudal we, times, uh, wow. they were paid by a variety of other means, right? They might get the house that they live in, the land that they use, things like that. So pay frequency was almost non-existent or was very long, right? You might receive money once every year. Or say you served in the military, right? After a tour of duty, you were paid at the end of that, right? So your pay frequency might be two or three years. As people began to work in more formalized settings, factories, industrialization, and all that, what happened was that companies began to offer people more frequent pay as an incentive for them to work for them. And so over the course of the 19th and 20th century, paydays went from very infrequently, basically as long as the employers could get away with, to something that settled into what we now, in the U.S. at least, see as the standard two-week pay cycle. It's not that way all over the world. For example, in Europe, it's actually pretty common for people to be paid monthly. But in the U.S., the white-collar corporate standard has become the two-week pay cycle. And was the labor movement involved in pay frequency determination? My understanding is that in the early days of corporatization and industrialization of work and labor and pay, workers sort of pushed for more frequent pay, companies pushed back, and eventually there was this sort of meeting in the middle where, you know, roughly every two weeks became a standard that everyone could live with. That workers were happy because they weren't getting paid every six months. Companies were happy because they didn't have to pay out every day. And so two weeks kind of worked for everyone. And also, it was it would, it would have been difficult technologically for a long time to do it much faster than that. Payroll systems weren't necessarily automated. They were on paper. So a company would have to sit around and tally up, okay, everybody worked this many hours. We have to deduct this much from their paycheck for taxes. We have to deduct this much for insurance. So all those things just sort of took time that it would have been pretty difficult to actually do it more frequently than every two weeks. Every two weeks is actually pretty good given the work that went into it historically. But now a lot of that paperwork is done by computers. And money moves around much faster than it used to, almost instantaneously. You know, all these plumbing issues in finance are suddenly becoming like political topics because we've woken up to the fact that they matter for our financial lives. And all these things have just started to enter into the conversation and have started to change the way that we think about banking and about payments. Some major gig economy companies are already using an instant pay system. Uber, for example, has done a ton of work around making it possible for drivers to basically get paid instantly. Like as soon as they complete a job, that money's available to them. So they actually offer a program in which up to five times a day, you can get the money that you've been earning over the course of that day. And you can get it sent to your bank account or put on a debit card, virtually instant access. Five times to a that day. Money. Up to five times a day. Would that be an incentive for us? <laughs> well, the, so that's the question. That's what made me think about this article, is that why couldn't we all be paid in that way or at least have that option? And what Uber's experience shows you is that the technology and systems exist to do this. And so what prevents it from happening for everybody is not necessarily the technology. It might be the cost. That's the way things have been done because companies don't want to. 
maybe because workers don't want to. They like the savings of being paid infrequently. But what's happening at those gig economy companies shows you is that maybe it's something that should be available for a wider variety of workers. For now, quick payment technology is mainly being built out by the private sector. But some politicians are urging the Federal Reserve to also build a system, arguing that payments should basically be a government utility. Elizabeth Warren kind of put this issue a little bit on the map recently when she and her big Wall Street reform package said that the banking system doesn't necessarily work great. And one of the examples she gave is that it can take time for money to move through it. And so she said that there are a lot of people who are waiting on a paycheck to clear, who have needs. And so that's why she and with some other lawmakers proposed that the Federal Reserve should offer an instant payments network so that nobody ever has to wait for a paycheck to clear. It at least solves that aspect of what we've been talking about. The banks already offer such a system, so they've kind of said, hey, wait a second, why is the Fed going to come in and do what we're already offering, an instant payment system? So there's definitely some politics there. Change is coming to the payment process. Walmart, the largest private employer in America, now lets its employees subscribe to a service that gives them up to 50% of their earnings before payday. Walmart said its goal is to help employees avoid high-interest payday loans and to alleviate some of the stress that comes from not having the money they need on hand. And ADP, the payroll administrator, is also looking at ways that it can help companies pay employees faster. But even though the technology is here and the political will is building for flexibility on pay periods, TELUS says it takes a long time for our financial practices to change. So I started to look at this because in banking, I know that a lot of the underlying mechanisms of payments have changed a lot. Depositing a check via your mobile phone, for example. Tapping to pay instead of using your credit card. Things that used to take a couple of days a payment to clear through the banking system, can now move instantly. And yet, many people were still talking about how they were waiting for paychecks to clear. And so, knowing that the technology had changed, but not seeing an observable change in the way people are paid, made me wonder, well, why is it this way? Companies still use the same kinds of payroll systems. The question is when when those things will start to change. And when will we start to see some, some really fundamental changes in the nature of banking and money? When will all of those innovations really start to come home and change this very basic part of our financial lives? Do you think Dow Jones is going to start Venmoing us money? <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where companies might start to change once it becomes competitive. Like if one company goes out there and says, hey, everybody, we're now offering this instant payment option to people, that might be a reason that people go to work for them. There is a lot of experimentation here, and I do think it's something that will start to change, but it's happening more slowly than some people who might be kind of at the edge maybe need. And I think that's a conversation that needs to happen, not just with, oh, you know, let's Venmo each other money, but more fundamentally, like, how do we get paid? That's all for today, Friday, August 30th. Starting next week, The Journal is going daily. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. We are your hosts, Kate Leinbaugh. Ryan Knudsen. 
We're produced by Ricky Novetsky, Sarah Platt, and Willa Rubin. Our senior producer is Pia Gadkari. Annie Rose Strasser is our supervising producer. Griffin Tanner is our engineer. Our executive producer is Gerard Cole. Our music this week comes from Haley Shaw and Bobby Lord from Gimlet. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Special editing thanks this week to Nazanin Rafsanjani. For all the workers out there, happy Labor Day. We'll see you on Tuesday.